want to welcome everybody again to From the Preacher's Study, and as the name implies, that's exactly where we are at uh, in the study of the preacher, and really appreciate you being with us. Uh, we have been doing this for a little while now. Uh, we're in the book of Ephesians and just kind of making our way through and trying to glean some things that we think will be helpful not only for ourselves, but also for the listening audience. Uh, thank you for being with us. We finished up last time chapter one. We're now going to pivot and transition into chapter two, but before we do that, since you did have an opportunity to speak to uh, chapter one and talking about the lordship of Jesus and how God exalted him to that position, the right hand of God the Father. I don't know if you wanted to say a few things as we transition well, into uh, chapter two. I would just mention back in chapter one and verse 19, he refers to the surpassing greatness of God's power. He gives us an illustration of how he exhibited that power uh, by raising Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand, this position of ultimate authority over all things. But he's going to give us another example exactly. of that power Amen. as we go into chapter 2. Amen. That's a great segue. So let's go ahead and read, and, and we'll first just read the first uh, four verses and see how far we can get, and, uh, and we'll go from there. Actually, the first five verses, I'm sorry. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And I said four or five. Let's stop there for a second, because I think that's a complete thought. So let's think about, he's talking to Christian people, and that's a very important point to make. He's talked about their faith and their love for the saints. He's commended them, and yet now he's reminding them of, as you say, another demonstration of God's power in their very own lives. And he reminds them, that he listens to the language he uses, past tense, that he they were made alive. Who did that? God. Well, you say, wait a minute. Well, how were they made alive? Why would they need to be made alive? Because he says, you, just as we, later on he's going to switch to we, uh, were dead in our sins and trespasses. So we know from passages like Romans 3.23, when we violate God's law, you can do that by doing something God prohibits, failing to do something that God commands. Once you commit that sin, you've been severed from relationship with God. Your sins have separated you from your God. And at that point, you're dead in your sins and trespasses. And so he says that's the position that we all were in. And really, left to our own devices, there's nothing we could do to get ourselves out of that position. We couldn't do enough good works. We couldn't live a moral life good enough that would uh, overcome the debt that we owe because of that sin. And so very important for us to remember where we were at. Uh, sometimes I think, Bob, we get so far removed from that that we forget the state that we're in. It's very important as we're teaching and preaching and sharing the gospel with others that we understand we were in the same position they were. And he makes the point. He says, look, we once walked according to the course of this world. And I think that's interesting, the idea of walking. that That's the pattern of life. That's how you know. We're not talking about committing a sin from time to time. That happens even with those who have been into the body of Christ. But this is your whole orientation. He said, we once walked this way. Our course of life was according to the prince of the power of the air. That's a reference to Satan. And so again, we can relate to those that we're sharing the gospel with because we were in the exact same position. We were called out by the gospel. We were saved from God's wrath, and we're appealing to them to do the same things that we did to put ourselves in the position we're in. Right. Somebody has said, it's been said many times, I'm sure, that you know the gospel is bad news before it's good news. <laughs> right. you know, the gospel is the good news, That's you know, right. but, but it also tells us and teaches us that we're all sinners. That's right. And as a result of sinners, we're deserving of God's wrath. That's right. 
Uh, Romans 1, verse 18, mm -hmm. the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. And so even Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are by nature children of mm -hmm. wrath. Mm -hmm. And so we minimize sin, we trivialize sin, uh, but it's a very serious thing because it separates us from God Amen. and it, it puts us in a position of deserving God's wrath mm -hmm. against sin. And that's not where you want to be. No, and like you all. said, it's not it's not a we and, and they right. situation or us and them. It's not like they're in sin, right. we are not. No, right. no, we all, exactly. all of us, you and me and all others are guilty of sin and deserving of God's wrath. You know, and it should help us as we're relating to people. We never want to be haughty. We never want to be proud of our position in Christ. Uh, there's not a basis for that because all the work has been done, and this is the point of this passage, has been done by God through His grace. I mean, there's nothing we could have done to close the gap between us and God because of that sin. And so when you appreciate that, which is something you continue to appreciate even after you've walked in the Lord uh, for decades, and we see that through Apostle Paul, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, he talks about even then a veteran Christ looking back saying, you know, I'm so glad that Christ has made me what I am. I was an ignorant man. I was a blasphemous man. I did all kinds of things contrary to Christ. But you know what? He showed in me a pattern of long suffering to all those who would believe in his name through faith. And so this idea that we were once in this position, he goes on to say, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. What we were doing is we were following Satan's playbook. Uh, we know 1 John 2, 15 through 17 tells us that the devil appeals to us in three, at least three ways. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, or some combination thereof. And so that's the devil's playbook. In 2 Corinthians uh, 2, uh, Paul says we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We know how he appeals to us. And yet here, Paul is saying, that's how we operated. Every, whatever the lust of the flesh wanted, that's what we did. We gratified those. It reminds me of in Philippians 3, where he talks about those whose God is their belly. Think about that. It's a very vivid description that they, they worship the indulgence of the flesh. What does the flesh want? And if you can't see that in our society, then you're being blind. We see that all over in the media. We see that on television and movies and the music. I mean, people are glorifying the indulgence of the flesh. There's no sense of restraint, no sense of self-control. Just if you, it feels good, do it. And yet here, Paul says, that's what we used to do. That's what we did in the past. But there's been a transition now, and we're about to talk about that transition. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think you're right. You know, one of the things that, you know, one of the problems that sometimes you, you face and you, you deal with is uh, you wonder why people don't respond to the gospel. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, people might hear uh, the gospel preached many times and, and just never respond. Well, one of the problems may be they just don't realize the situation they're in. That's a great point. And they look at, they look at themselves and right. look, look at other church members, you know, right. and they may think, well, I do better than him. Right. I see him at school. I know I do better <laughs> than him. Well, I've heard him, you know, kind of language he uses. I, right. I, so why do I need to obey the gospel? Yes. I'm, I do better than others. Yes. Well, of course, that's, that's not the standard of measure mm, what other people are doing. And it just fails to come to grips with our own, right. you know, our own sinfulness. Mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't matter whether you're better or worse than someone right. else. Right. That's not the standard. It's have we lived up to God's standard of right and wrong? And if we haven't, well, then we're we're in danger. Amen. And there's only one way for us to to get out of danger. Only Absolutely. one way to remedy that situation. You know, I was thinking earlier when you talked about you know, there's bad news and preaching of the gospel, and there's good news, and we see that all illustrated in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2. 
you know, Peter tells them that they've taken with lawless hands and crucified the Son of God. And it's such bad news that they react almost in a sense of despair. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, fortunately, there was a message of salvation. We're about to talk about that. But I like the point that one has to be convinced of your own sinfulness, your own need for a Savior before the gospel is going to appeal. And too many people think, I'm okay, you're okay. And so we're going to have to deliver some bad news to get people conditioned to know, I need a Savior and then they're open to hear the truth of the gospel. So how do you deal with your guilt? You know, mm-hmm. you know, modern psychology says uh, may say something like, well, you haven't done anything wrong. Right, right. And so you shouldn't feel guilty yes. because you ha- you've done what's right for you. You know, right. you haven't done anything wrong. And that just kind of glosses over the problem and whitewashes the problem. Amen. You know, the Bible deals with the problem. Amen. Yes, you've done wrong. Amen. But you can be forgiven That's because right. Christ died to atone for that sin. Absolutely. So there's only one way, like you said, that we're just about ready to get into. Amen. Let's go ahead and start reading that. Verse 4, and listen to the transition. We've talked about all these things that God has done for us when we were in a state of being dead in our sins and trespasses. And I just love the, the two-word phrase, but God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We'll talk a little bit more maybe next class, but I want to cut off and and, and focus on that for a little bit. So we've been talking about uh, the terrible state that we were in by virtue of our sins, and now we get this transition that notwithstanding that, while we were in that state, God steps in and rescues us. And why does he do that? Because he loves us. And it's really remarkable because we were so unlovable. We are, as Romans 5 talks about, we were enemies of God. And yet he steps in and makes the ultimate sacrifice. We're talking about his son. And it's that sacrifice that gives us the opportunity to be his children. I like what you said earlier about contrasting children of wrath versus children of God by adoption in chapter 1. You know, that's all made possible by the sacrifice of his son. Without that sacrifice, no adoption. We're still children of wrath. We're due uh, hellfire that's coming. Well, I just, you can't help but be impressed by that little three little three-letter word there in verse 4, but... God. You, yes. you were dead in your trespasses yes. and sins, yes. but God, because he loved us so much, right. rescued us. Amen. Similar passages, Titus chapter 3, mm-hmm. uh, he, he d- describes our former manner of life, involved in various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hate, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, mm-hmm. he saved us. Amen. So, you know, sometimes... We get caught up in the big technical words of Scripture, reconciliation, sanctification. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the little words that carry a lot of power. Amen. But God loved us and saved us. And and I love God is rich in mercy, and we need to appreciate that. That you know, like you said before, I think a lot of times we don't understand the the gravity of sin. And if you have any problem with that, come to grips with that. Look to the cross. I mean, that's the price. That's how severe it was that Christ had to die in an agony, uh, just an agonizing death, uh, being innocent, not having done anything, because sin is such a terrible thing. And we need to remember that. And so this rich mercy that's extended to us uh, is, is something that we need to appreciate. And he does say a couple of times, by grace we've been saved. And we've been, listen to this, these are things that God has done. He made us live together in verse 5. 
He raised us up together, verse 6, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And, you know, it sounds similar, although we know it's not quite the same. Earlier we talked about the fact in the last class that God raised up Christ to sit at his right hand. We're not sitting at the right hand, but we are sitting in heavenly places by the mercy of God. And so this is something that we need to take consider. Uh, need to consider, we basically were translated, and Colossians talks about this, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We were translated from uh, captivity to Satan to being a servant of God. So it's this fundamental transformation, and it's all made possible by the grace of God. We could not have done that on our own. That's right. So how grateful we ought to be every day, you know, for God's mercy, his patience toward us, mm -hmm. his love toward us, and giving, his, giving us his son, and live a life of gratitude, and live a life of thankfulness, and exhibit that gratitude and thankfulness go. every day in service to the Lord. Absolutely. Now, next time we'll talk a little bit more about grace and what all is required of us, because as you know, Bob, there are a lot of misunderstandings about grace, and sometimes people want to pick grace versus works, the idea that if you're saved by grace, there's really nothing you can do to change your relationship with God. And while certainly it says that we're not saved by our works, uh, there are works to be done as a condition to accessing the grace. And we'll talk about that next time. Uh, since we're running out of time here, I thought we'd close with a word of prayer. Sure. If you don't mind leading us in that, it'd be great. Okay, very good. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the opportunity to study from your word, uh, to to read your, uh, your message, your word to us. To, it's in a form that we can understand, and uh, we're grateful for the opportunity to have access to it and be in a position to read it and study it. Our Father, we pray that you'll help us today to uh, consider your grace, your love, your mercy, your kindness and goodness toward us. We're sorry, Father, that we've transgressed your will for us, that we've sinned, that we've lived in selfishness and pride and uh, pursuing the lusts of the flesh and the eyes and things like that. And so, Father, we're, we're sorry that we've done that. We're so thankful that you love us, that you're merciful toward us, and that you've given in your grace, you've given us your son, Jesus Christ, so that our sins, our transgressions can be forgiven and washed away. Uh, help us, Father, each day to dwell on that, to be thankful, to live a life of gratitude, and to devote ourselves to your service in your cause in our own personal life and telling others about your great mercy in Christ as well. Father, we pray that you'll be with us, that you'll watch over us, that you'll provide the things that we need in a physical way, but a spiritual way as well. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.